Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Oki Podcast. On this episode, I have Cherokee Citizen, lover of all things Tulsa, traveler, and a director of business development at the Akana Group. Yes, sir. Okay, I, th- I thought I messed that up. <laughs> but man, I got a Brandy Ross here today. Long time coming. Yeah, OCO. Yeah, she's here. <laughs> the last Oklahoma podcast I think I remember you on is Toke Signals. Yep, it was the Raw Reservation Dogs <laughs> yeah. review. Of, uh, like episode one and two. Dude, that was season one. Yeah, season one. I can't believe that's already been three years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of a full cir- circle moment to, to be chatting with you after the season wrapped up. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy how it just kind of, <laughs> and then we just, we're here now, uh, I guess, Raw Reservation 2. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, gosh. That <laughs> oh, was a fun group. That was a, that was a fun night. That was a night, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We all just came here and chilled. Yep. Toke Signals was late. Dan brought out some pizza that he forgot about. Got pizza, yeah. Forgot about in the car. Oh my gosh! And the the cardboard box uh, was it turned into plates, like you could tear them apart. Do you remember that? Yeah, that yeah. was innovation that I had not seen before. I think they all can do that. Oh, I think. <laughs> yeah, we've just been throwing them away and <laughs> getting our plates from the cupboard. <laughs> exactly. Which I still do. Yeah. Same. <laughs> But yeah, man, three years. I mean, well, I, that's not like I haven't seen you in that time span. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's like, I can't like, you brought that up, or I brought that up, and you said, yeah, first season, now season three is wrapped up. It's all done. Crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. The amount of time that, or just how fast time goes. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And I'm happy we're finally getting a chance to sit down and and talk about some of our fun times. True, I know. <laughs> and I met you. Dang. That was the first season too. Yeah, that was first at, season at Circle Cinema when we were going uh well, no. No, it, I think it was River Spirit. Before then. that, River Spirit had a I don't know, I want Would oh, you what? say red carpet? Yeah, there was red carpet. Um but it was kind of like um I don't know if it was a private showing, if you would call it that, because it was for the community. Mm-hmm. It was just a special event. Yeah, that was yeah that was, and they showcased one and two, or episodes one and two. Yep. Yeah, and then that's where, well, you know, we got that mutual friend with Natalie. Uh huh. And Trista. Oh yeah. And I mean, everybody just showed up and. That's where we all kind of met. And then it continued on, though, at Circle Cinema. Yep. Every Monday night, they had um, the new episode of that week. Mm-hmm. That that was when it was released on a Sunday. Really? Yeah. So it came out on Sunday, but Circle Cinema showcased it for free. If you didn't have Hulu, oh, you could yeah. watch it Monday night at Circle Cinema. See, I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot it. Yeah. It used to air on Sundays. Yep. And then didn't it move to Tuesdays? Yeah, I want to say it was like Tuesday night or actually Wednesday at midnight. I thought, 
maybe. Man, yeah, you're bringing back a bunch of memories. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even remember. I was like, what Sunday? I was like, yeah, Mondays too. Yeah, yeah, that was fun, man. We'd all go hang out at Circle Cinema, a gang of us. Oh yeah. And that's where we met like a bunch of people from um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Absolutely. That was crazy too. Yeah. And then we'd all go to um, oh, what's the place downtown? Uh, McNelly's group. McNelly's. Yeah, McNelly's. Yeah. We'd all go hang out there. <laughs> I. It was, man, yeah. We haven't done that in so long either. I know. It's just crazy. My schedule is absolutely insane with the amount of time that I'm spending traveling. Yeah. Um, I've been to Australia twice this year. Mm-hmm. Working a lot with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders small businesses, um, but also just citizens and trying to get parliament more involved in their communities Mm -hmm. um, on their national scale because they are so interested in how Native American tribes work with the federal government. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's all a dark history of terrible things happening to our communities. But I mean, it's, it's reciprocated in Australia to a way that it's the government just doesn't work with them. Like like what they do here in the United States, um, so yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, and you just got back from Australia. Yep. Correct. Um, yes, sir. So I was in Australia my first time. It was in May, <clears throat> and uh, my first trip was very government oriented. It was a defense uh, conference that we originally went for. So. My, my title is business uh, director of business development, but I wear a lot of hats because mm-hmm. we are a native small business. We, we all wear a lot of hats. So I'm also a government contractor. And with that comes with a lot of conversation with people that don't necessarily understand um, tribal relations. Um, and so it's a lot of me being in rooms or places that are typically non-native and this first trip that I went to Australia was just that and we went to Sydney had a lot of conversations with government and parliament then we went to the conference up in Darwin which is very northern Australia Um, so in Sydney during May it was their fall so all the leaves were changing and um, it was turning cold and then when we flew up to Darwin, it was hot. It was humid. <laughs> and I ended up getting a sinus infection oh. from from just that drastic change and then all the travel because it takes about twenty it takes about twenty hours to get from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Sydney, Australia. And so my body was just tired. And with all the conversations of government and Department of Defense and future plans and investments. It's just draining. Mm-hmm. So that first trip was brutal. Um, didn't have much culture like my second trip. And my second trip was in August. So this a few months ago. And it was entirely cultural. It was meeting with the elders of the different mobs, um, talking about their histories and their origin stories and getting to really have that connection to land and the ancestors it was a completely different experience Mm -hmm. 
And in that last trip, I went from Sydney to Melbourne, which is southern, which was colder um, because in August it's their winter. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because they're on the opposite side of the world. And so every all the seasons are flipped. And when you're packing <laughs> in Oklahoma, August, winter clothes, it feels wrong. Mm-hmm. It feels so wrong. So I actually didn't really pack enough warm clothes. And I was just, I was on the struggle bus a few nights because it was so cold and we had <laughs> a lot of dinners. Because, I mean, they, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait cultures are very similar to Native cultures. You get together and you eat and mm-hmm. you hang out and you share stories and you look up and it's 2 a.m. And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was um, it was really interesting that second go around. Yeah. Are th- Okay, so are they 16 hours ahead or behind? Yeah, they're 16 hours ahead. Ahead? Okay. Yeah. So and you, and you spent twenty hours getting on there. a plane. Yep. Man, I got it's it. crazy how time works. <laughs> because I left okay, so I left Tulsa on a Saturday to get there on a Monday morning. So I completely oh like skipped a day yeah. or something. Yeah. And then on the way back, I left Australia on a Saturday and got back to Tulsa on a Saturday. It was wild, man. Yeah. I was like, I ate breakfast like three or four times. <laughs> I was so confused. Because <laughs> really, though, like you leave Australia Saturday morning and then you get to LAX uh-huh. and it's morning there. Yeah. So you eat breakfast twice and then they serve you another breakfast like on the plane. It's just crazy. Yeah. So confusing. Well, I remember... Uh you're giving me tips on my trip to Vegas. Yeah. And cause I haven't rode, a, I haven't been on a plane since I was in high school and, and I was just, I was, I was kind of scared, Yeah, you know, but I was trying to remember back like, Oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, it was, it was kind of fun, but I'm older now. Yeah. So I mean, tell, let me tell you, like it was only like two, two hours and 45 minutes on the plane, mm-hmm. but I'm older now and I get motion sickness a lot. Oh, same. A lot more. So when the plane just started moving to the uh, takeoff, mm-hmm. move, just driving around Taxiing. on the ground. Oh, yeah. I got, I started getting like motion sickness. And man, like when it took off, like I remember like when I was a kid or I was 16, but I didn't feel it. Yeah. I didn't feel it at all. Like I everybody was like holding on to their chair and I remember just being like, I don't What's feel a on? thing. Right. And then when we took off as I'm thirty five, I it jolted me back in my seat and I was like <laughs> doing what those people were doing when I was a kid and I was like, Oh God, like train not the train, but the plane was going off and man, it was so fast. And I remember chewing gum uh-huh. for my ears. And oh yeah. It took off and I was feeling like crap and and we I was like, I was looking at Jordan and Zebediah. I was like, how long is it going to take to like get up in the air? Like, cause it seemed like we we're just going yeah. forever. It takes about 20 minutes at times. And sometimes, so it's funny. I mean, I, I usually fly first class, uh-huh. which I'm so grateful that the Econa group provides that for me. And that uh-huh. 20 minutes until you can get up seems like an hour. Really? Well, I mean, yeah, because you're just like, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, true. <laughs> and they make you wait until you're at full altitude. 
And so, yeah, I, <laughs> I know that yeah. struggle, man. My bladder's older, too. So. Exactly. Having to know where the bathrooms are and <laughs> figure out your game plan. <laughs> One of my buddies, um, he, so he travels more than I do. He actually mm-hmm. works for a company called Ernst & Young, mm-hmm. um, which that's a whole other conversation about EY not being inclusive to native small business, but mm-hmm. um, they're really working on it. And what's really cool is my buddy that I've grown um, a really great relationship with, he's actually based out of Houston. And so we were recently in Miami for um, National Association for Foreign Trade Zones Conference. Mm-hmm. And he was the chairman at the time. And we just didn't get a chance to have a sit down conversation while we were in Miami. But on the flight back, we actually sat next to each other on the plane Mm -hmm. and got to have those conversations that we needed to have about EY doing better about supporting native small business. Because listen to this. He's a fellow Cherokee citizen. Oh, really? And he, he doesn't he doesn't present it. Mm -hmm. So he's non presenting and he's embarrassed because um, he was never grown up in the culture. He lives in Houston, Texas, which is very far from Tahlequah. He's never been to Tahlequah. Um, but it took him three, about three instances of us interacting with each other before he told me that he was a card carrying Cherokee. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're my brother. Yeah. <laughs> so I welcomed him with open arms and, you know, I've been teaching him a lot and, Anyway, he he's had about I don't know a hundred nights with a in a in a hotel room this year, and I'm just about I'm at fifty eight. So that's how much more he oh. travels than I do. Um, so he, we were going over our airplane strategies because I was like, I'm motion sick. I gotta carry these patches, and he was like, Oh yeah, I've heard of those. And he showed me like um, some of his strategies. He was like, I always have to sit in the in the aisle because I got it I got to know how to get to the bathroom I don't want someone sleeping next to me and I have to wake them up mm, yeah <laughs> and so he was giving me pointers <laughs> sharing traveling pointers <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I've also discovered which books I cannot read um, I've been trying to read braiding sweetgrass mm-hmm. uh, by Robin Oh, what's her last name? Kimmer? I think so. Anyway, I've been trying to read this book for a year, but really the only time I have time is on a plane. Mm -hmm. And this freaking book makes me emotional, and I don't like crying in front of people. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't finish this book. (laughs) And I was telling him about it, and he was like, oh, yeah, don't don't read those on planes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't read those. Don't read, like, emotional books on planes. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could read on a plane. I'm telling you, with those patches, you could. What you just, patches are you talking they're, about? They're motion sickness patches. It's like a just the smell of it. It's like a natural aroma. You put them behind your ear mm-hmm. and just stick it on there. And I don't know what it is. It's, it's science, man. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's science. Where do you get them? I got, I got mine on Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I have to look at them. Yeah, they're like... I think nine, ten bucks for a set of 30. What? Yeah, they're nice. I should start investing in stock in that company because I buy them so much. I'm going to have to get some. Well, I mean, like, even driving. Oh, yeah. Like, I hate being a passenger in a car because 
man, it just, I don't know what it is. I just get motion sickness and it hits me hard sometimes. Sometimes it's like, eh, yeah, you know, I can survive it, but I don't know what it is. But I remember on the plane though, I was dying. Oh like, yeah. I was like, we were like 30 minutes in or 40 minutes in and. I was like, man, we got like two hours left, and and I was like, I'm probably gonna die of motion sickness. And then everybody like, I told Jordan and Zebediah finally. I was like, guys, I don't feel good. And then Jordan was like, oh my god, you look pale. Like, are you okay, Russell? And then every like said it real loud, and people are like, I could hear people like, oh my god, die. And then Zebediah was like, yeah, I was gonna say nothing, but yeah, you look pretty bad. And I was sweating, like I was sweating oh, yeah. on the plane, and oh, I yeah. guess my face was all pale and everything. And I was like, "Man, I'm I'm really motion sickness right now, guys." Yep. Pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> but this guy overheard me say that, like sitting right behind us, and he goes, uh, "So uh, motion sickness, man?" I was like, "Yeah." I was, like, I don't know if I can make it. And he was like, "Here," and he gave me these pills and Dramamine. Well, didn't say anything on the, on the thing. <laughs> I should have taken them. There was a the the thing was off the package, and I grabbed them anyways. Like you know what, man? I was like, I'm gonna take a shot. So yeah, I took two of them, and I took them. Did I knock even, you out? I even know what they were. <laughs> Did you get really sleepy and drowsy? I got better actually. Oh, good. I I started feeling the relief it was giving me. Nice. And I was just thirsty after that. Yeah. And yeah. so they gave me some Coke and and I just sat there and I was like, okay, Coca-Cola. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Coca-Cola, not Coke, everybody. Not cocaine. Well, you just talking about taking whatever. Well, he like, gave me Coke too. <laughs> so here, man, do a line off his finger. Do a little toot. Here, on his thumb. Here, sniff this. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this will my help. gosh. Golly. <laughs> but yeah, I was... So I hosted that show and I kind of like put that in my set because I mean, I only had like three minutes and I was just kind of talking about relatable stuff. And I was like, man, I took this pill from this guy and I didn't know if I was going to trip out on the plane or go crazy. I was like, I should have been more smart about like looking at it, examining it. Right. And the pill. But I I just took it and I I just. Well, yeah. When your body's thinking it's going to die and shut down, just (laughs) grabbing anything. (laughs) But I was like, I could have been on the plane. Just doesn't it kind of make you think about medicine men, where they're like, when people are just really desperate, and they're like, "Hey, try this," and yeah. it's literally just some bubble gum. True. <laughs> it could have been a tic tac. Yeah, tic tac. Oh, I feel so much better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. He's a powerful. It's just having faith. <laughs> it's just having faith. <laughs> well, like before he gave me that pill or those pills, I was gonna, I was gonna go to sleep. But yeah, I was like, dang, I really might die. I was like, I might not wake up. And then yeah. your mind just goes to all these places where it's like, can you die from motion sickness? Yeah, and you can't get on your phone. You and can't yeah, look it up. Can't MD it. Can't, <laughs> can't web MD yourself. <laughs> That's probably the good thing in the air. It is time to get away from, from all the craziness that our phones bring. <laughs> And then we're, we were coming back. I was sitting by this lady, and man, she was terrified. I was luckily in the back, and I was in the aisle again. And I was sitting by this lady and her husband, and we were, she was like, I don't know, like her head was like going like everywhere. And 
she was just kind of like sitting there with her eyes closed before he even took off. And I was like, uh, motion sickness. She's like, yeah. She's like, and I'm terrified. And I was Aww. like, yeah. I was like, me too. But she was like beyond terrified that I was like, when we started taking off, she grabbed me and her husband's hand. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> I was like, I just looked at her. I was like, it's all right. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and he was just like looking out the window and she was like, close that window. <laughs> She's getting all mad. And he closed it when we we're taking off. And then they shut the lights off, which was nice. You know, it's like a little dim in there. So, yeah, but it, that one was kind of more bumpier than the first one we did. Like mm-hmm. it felt like a lot more turbulence. And then even in the air, we had turbulence. Which yeah. Kind of smaller planes. They scary. they can pick up all of the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was in like some giant planes mm-hmm. for my Australian trip. I mean, like we had our own pods. Like they completely laid down. Really? You had a lot of room. Yeah, it was, I had a nice setup. Mm-hmm. And uh, that first trip, when I could tell, when I was like, it was, it had turbulence, I knew it was bad. Mm-hmm. So that, that freaked me out. Cause I mean, I was sleeping and the airplane, like seatbelt light came on and then there was an announcement to make sure you had your seatbelt on. And so I was like laying down and it was like bouncing me. Um, so I, I, I got scared that time. I'd be scared to go 20 hours straight, yeah. right? You didn't stop or nothing. Nope. LAX to Sydney. That, that flight's about a 15 to 13 hour flight. Really? Even yeah. then, I mean, I'm like, I, I'd be terrified. It It is crazy to think about, you know. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying for me, (laughs) I'm thinking about it now. It's like, because even in like a plane, just how we were for two hours, Mm -hmm. I wasn't like scary, but I was like, I was thinking about longer flights. Like, I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. And then when you talk about like going from LAX to Sydney, it was like, man, I don't know. Like, I'd have to knock myself out. Yeah. Sleep the entire way, probably. Yep. But you don't want to sleep for that long because then it'll mess up your sleep schedule when you get there. You want to stay awake Dang. on the way back. Yeah. You want to stay awake. Well, on the way there, you want to stay awake for as long as you can and then fall asleep. Um, like when you're about eight or seven hours out. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, because when you get there, it's like first thing in the morning. You always arrive at like 6 a.m. And then you just try to stay awake as long as you can for that day. to jump on their time yeah so it's a lot easier going there coming back it takes me at least two weeks to get my sleep schedule back man because it's so trippy is that the farthest you've ever been like Mm -hmm. gone to a place Mm -hmm. australia yeah yeah i um i recently went up to northern canada Mm. um i went to alberta edmonton canada um it was like right after my uh, trip to Australia, yeah. which again, my sleep schedule still wasn't hundred <laughs> percent regular. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was crazy because one, I had never been to Western Canada before, but two, all uh, the wildfires that were happening. Oh yeah. I um, that. Yeah. It really freaked me out because there was, um, I mean, when you think of Canada, you don't think of homelessness. Mm-hmm. You don't think of poverty or, um, things that you typically see in a, a urban city here in the U S mm-hmm. and to see that in Canada was really 
I was just surprised. Um, I didn't even leave my hotel um, without like the conference um, like tours and stuff. I didn't leave it at all. Mm-hmm. I just stayed in my hotel and went to the conference, did a few tours. I, I did tour Elk Island, which is a, a bison sanctuary. So they have uh, about 450 plain bison and 450 wood woodland bison. Mm-hmm. And um, they told the story beautifully about how uh, the U.S. government wiped out um, the bison and uh, just really wrecked indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really cool to see. But, um, yeah, I was just blown away by the amount of sirens going off at all hours of the night um, because people were taking refuge from super north Canada to Edmonton um, and they weren't allowed to go back to their home so they essentially it was like two weeks um, in hotels and I mean some people just can't afford that so they went basically to the streets and started living out of their cars and and uh, it was just crazy wow yeah I forgot about that yeah, it was they wild. Fires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that conference was for, um, oh, it's an organization called NASCO, which stands for North American Strategy for Competitiveness. And mm-hmm. it's a trilateral um, organization that works with Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And so for me, I was advocating for the new NAFTA. The new NAFTA is called the USMCA is what we call it in the U.S., Canada calls it something different than what Mexico calls it. So all three, <laughs> all three countries call this free trade agreement something different. But mm-hmm. here in the States, the USMCA completely leaves out um, indigenous foods of Article 3, which is about agriculture. So currently we're finding issues with our indigenous producers that grow wild rice in Canada, which is the same Great Lakes as what we have here in U.S., um, when they're trying to consolidate different orders of this um, indigenous, indigenously grown food, it's getting stopped at the border and ultimately destroyed. Really? So it's really disheartening to think that foods that have been grown here on Turtle Island for over a millennia is uh, not being recognized by our current administrations. And um, so I was advocating to get indigenous foods on Article 3 of the USMCA. How come they're destroying them? Because they're not on the... Um, no, Article 3? They're, they're not um, easily identified on the um, harmonizing like tariff codes, so they don't know how to tax it if it were to be taxed. They don't know how to identify it. Because um, it's not just normal rice. Mm. It, it has a lot more, I don't know, just nutrients? Yeah, nutrition. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, they just don't know what to do with it at times. And, of course, indigenous farmers, they don't know how to file the correct paperwork mm-hmm. or explain um, exactly how they processed and got the food to be able to cross the border, um, which it's only an issue now because the new NAFTA, the USMCA, is so detailed. It's almost too detailed, um, whereas you know, back in the good old days, you could just say like, yeah, I grew it in Canada, country of origin, Canada. Cool. Move it on down to us free, free trade. Mm -hmm. Um, so now with all the 
additional detail that it takes to to move product across the border it's just almost too difficult hmm. yeah so i'm flying to dc next week so in a few days and i'll mm. be meeting with our u.s trade representatives the executive director for canada and the executive director for um, mexico so I just so happened to run into these guys at this conference. We sat down at the same table to to break bread, to have dinner. Mm-hmm. And those are the exact guys that I needed to talk to. It was just really cool that I was able to have that opportunity. Yeah. I was going to say about the it's always it always goes back to taxes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right? and see like, they they had no idea this was even an issue. Mm-hmm. They were just like, "What do you mean indigenous foods aren't included in Article 3?" And I was like, pulling up the provisions. I was like, "Here we go. Do you see anything? Control find indigenous. Mm-hmm. Control find regenerative." And uh just wasn't there. You think I don't know with our foods now. I mean, there's so much crap that goes into it oh it's wild and i mean would they take over on it like would they start adding or sprinkling stuff (laughs) in there that so funny you should ask because okay so let me give you a little background on the akana group Mm -hmm. akana means ally in the choctaw language and our president and ceo his name is chad johnson Mm -hmm. uh there's a whole nother funny story about that because he played in the NFL. If you look him up, Ocho Cinco? he's not Ocho Cinco. Oh, <laughs> I'm stepping ahead here. <laughs> but um, no, so Chad Johnson, he has a really colorful background. He studied international compliance law um, and he speaks five different languages. And so he's done a handful of international compliance and trade um and just understands how the government works Mm -hmm. um but he also he knows a lot about equipment and so with that background his father worked for the usda for over 25 years so he grew up knowing the farming the agriculture and of course they're native so they understand those like ancient practices and so there's a really interesting statistic out there regarding native farmers and um, the immediate past general counsel for the USDA, her name is, um, oh, Janie Hip, and she's a Choctaw citizen as well. Mm. But she was the first Native American to, to have that seat at that level. But anyway, she's literally written the book on Native farming. And um, she has an interesting t- statistic that is something along the lines that Native farmers own about two-thirds more land than the average farmer, but only produce a third of mm produce of that average farmer and there's a handful of issues with that i mean access to equipment of mm-hmm. course and then of course access to capital and so my boss um chad johnson understood that and just decided to start this company called the Econa group to help alleviate that issue so we're the only native partner of john deere they um they want to help with Social reparative justice is what they call it. And they are recognizing that they have excluded native farmers from the John Deere story. Um, and so I've, I've spent a handful of times uh, traveling to Moline, Illinois, which is John Deere headquarters, and getting to share our stories and share just th- what the equipment can do for farming. And um, 
We work very closely with the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, Mm -hmm. which is up in White Cloud, Kansas. Um, They're a completely regenerative farming practice. Like, they're very successful. If you're familiar with just how much or how large a um, combine is, like the largest combine that John Deere has, uh, it's about a million-dollar machine, and they bought two of them. Whoa. Cash. Oh, man. Yeah. So yeah. They, they really know how to do it. They don't um, till. They're non-tilling, which when you till the ground, you're um, taking away a lot of the natural like biodome of bacteria and healthy things that grow in the dirt. Mm-hmm. So when you're putting oxygen in that, you're killing it, and you're also emitting a lot of CO2 emissions in the air. And so they don't do that. They... They let the land be, and they rotate their crops um, accordingly. So they don't they don't till, they don't spray, they don't pump any nitrogen into the ground, and they're just as successful as their neighbors that are doing all of these bad farming. I'm, I shouldn't call it bad farming practices. It's a um, standard farming practice yeah. these days. Yeah. And so they're really trying to to train other um, tribes. Mm-hmm. Uh, about how to do this and what's really cool is with our connections with John Deere and the USDA we're providing a lot of um, opportunity and grants um, to be issued to tribes we also work very closely with the um, intertribal ag council which they provide a ton of resources to native farmers <coughs> producers and ranchers as well as the um, native american ag fund NAF um, they're also a really great ally and um, I'm just, I don't have any farming background. I don't have any, <laughs> any like knowledge much other than what people have told me. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any firsthand experience, but um, it's just truly remarkable to see, uh, see our people really have food as medicine mm-hmm. and uh, to share and showcase that on a global scale. It's, it's amazing. Are the native farmers, are they... <clears throat> independent or are they tribal like do they come a little bit of both a little bit of both Mm -hmm. because yeah sometimes you get a really amazing agriculture program in the tribe Mm -hmm. um which you can train the youth how to farm um so there's a lot of opportunity for grants in that cycle but think of when those kids get so empowered to have the entrepreneur mindset to where they can grow their own food and the tribe taught them that then they want to grow, have their own farm, and then they can make that an individual business. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a little mm-hmm. bit of both that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I think me and my friend been talking about like we wish like this is a while back, but all the studies of like I guess the proper ways of farming, growing, um even like producing meat and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Right. Like I don't want to say bad either, but I guess the standard way of like, let's, let's say cows, right? Like cows, Mm. they grain feed them, they grain feed them and they feed them, they inject them with all these like growth hormones, growth hormones and all these different things that are bad for the cow. Yeah. Whereas like grass fed cows just kind of became like known in a, not even, yeah. any, not even a long time. It's been like, I think I heard about grass fed in 2012. Right. Yeah. And it's, I never knew what it was, but I finally looked into it and it was just like cows that are just 
free range eating grass. Yeah. They're, that's all it is. And, and what's, what's kind of messed up too is sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you have to really look into those labels because it can say grass fed meat, mm-hmm. um, grass fed cow on the packaging, but really that cow only experienced grass for like a year before he was moved into yeah. that like crazy facility that pumps them full of stuff. Yeah. So, <clears throat> or then like grain fed finished. Yeah. That yeah, too. yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So an, another point to the, the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, they're complete, like I said, they're completely regenerative, meaning even their cattle, they don't do artificial insemination. They don't do any of the, the additional growth hormones or, or the corn feed. They really just let their herd um, do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they've been really successful. I think all of their processing is actually done here in Oklahoma at Quapaw. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and then, golly, I mean, it, it goes down to beef, even chickens. Oh, yeah. And then it's crazy because uh, I'll be trying to look for, what's the new phrase for it now? It was pasteurized chickens, uh-huh. but now it's like it goes. It went from like just regular eggs to cage. Oh gosh, cage I can't free keep up with eggs. To pasteurized, free range, and now it's like free range pasteurized. That's that doesn't say grain finished because they feed them grains and stuff too. But yeah. they like crickets and everything, and that's where like. They produce the best egg is when they're just naturally eating bugs and whatever yeah. else they come across. Yeah. And it, it's crazy to, to look into this like food stuff because like you never know like, okay, uh, you look at a regular egg that's produced in these horrible conditions mm-hmm. and they're just like yellow like that thing over there on that. Yeah. And but the real healthy egg is like a dark orange. Yeah. Right. Like. It's wild what we've been conditioned to yeah, see as normal. It is. And you see, like, think of the corn. Think of, like, yeah. um, our ancient, like, good corn. It's mm-hmm. not, like, all yellow. Mm-mm. It is colorful. It has all these different speckles of shades of anything. And um, it's just crazy to think that growing up, I thought that was the wrong. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, dang. I wish I would had some more of those heirloomed oh, I know. seeds. Yeah, we, uh, Pawnees, we had a few seeds and from back in the day. And, I mean, it wasn't even like a lot. I think it was like, I don't know. If I'm getting this wrong. It might be wrong. But <laughs> I want to say like at least 50 to 100 maybe. So yeah. it was very limited on like growing it. And so we tried to grow them here. And we're from Nebraska. But we tried to grow them here in Oklahoma, and man, they would just die. Yeah, like it's it wouldn't, they wouldn't produce. And so, I think we got linked up with somebody in Kearney, and I don't want to mention no names. I know who it is, but <laughs> I don't want to mention any names. But we linked up with them, and they allowed us to start growing. And so finally, I think they were down to like twenty seeds, maybe. Yeah. Finally, like I think they did ten. I think those is kind of they weren't really accustomed to how. They were going to farm them, I guess, mm-hmm. and everything. And so I think those died. And then I think it. I think they were trying to grow them in a certain time that they weren't supposed to be grown. Mm, yeah. So they had to learn all this stuff and educate themselves. And finally, I think it was like the last 10, they finally got them up. And so they're like different types of corn that, I mean, even to me, you know, growing up like you, 
and this was like recently as also I didn't know how much like we were corn people I guess I should say mm-hmm. and just growing up like canned corn yeah you know, canned sweet corn cream corn it's yeah, yellow commodities corn. man commodity corn it's oh like, yeah I grew up poor I yeah. remember eating oh, yeah. powdered eggs powdered eggs <laughs> powdered milk yeah. uh canned meat yeah with the, with the cow on it oh golly yeah, yeah. injected yeah. full of stuff in that can yeah mm-hmm. I'd eat that like with on bread oh yeah oh yeah Same. yeah and I mean it's like <laughs> thinking back too about that it's like wow like <laughs> I really ate that stuff. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. And now I'm more aware of like but what it, I was. But it ties eating. into that story of of how I mentioned the the Canadians really told the story beautiful of how the government took away our food source. Yeah. Uh, our bison. Yeah. And that was the start of us being dependent on the government because I mean, if we didn't even have commodities, we would have starved. Mm-hmm. And we we're just grateful to have those powdered things and non perishables. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's just crazy to think of all of these different phases of our um, just well-being mm-hmm. and how we're, we're getting back to food as medicine and wanting to go back to those ancient practices to better our communities. Yeah. Because um, we're getting getting a little inch and we're taking miles to, to do better. Oh, it's hard, though. It because is. Because, I mean, I know I know better. I read a lot and I've I, I watched tiktok and there's all these like studies and everything about how food is properly made better it's just expensive that's, oh yeah that's the thing but it's it's hard because like i've been here for like 35 years and what have what have i been eating right like processed foods yep and it's addicting to your yeah. body. And I mean, with me traveling all the time, sometimes yeah. you only have 30 minutes in an airport. Like you're just trying to grab whatever you mm-hmm. can on the way to your next gate. And I know it's bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's convenient. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's just tough to get over that. It is. I know it's bad. <laughs> I know. And then even like, I don't know, because I, I did like keto and high fat stuff. Mm-hmm. Back in like 2016, I think, and I, I never felt better. Yeah, like I was buying organically, uh, organic um, vegetables. Yeah, and I was eating grass fed patties or grass fed like hamburger meat because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford the steaks and stuff like that. But I right. make patties and everything, and I'd eat that like every day. And that's when I was eating like uh, at that time it was uh, pasteurized eggs, and I'd buy them from this farmer down the road, and I eat like eggs for breakfast, mm-hmm. avocados, and then like I would intermittent fast like all yeah. the time. And so I think back then I was like, I must have been like two. No, I was probably like 360 at that time. And I worked at the casino. So I was constantly walking. Yeah. But I wouldn't eat a lot. And so I remember I dropped down in like three months to like 250. And Dang. I was like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> but I was like, I think I'm on to something. Right. But everything changes like all the time. Uh, I think like time. food stuff is like technology. Mm-hmm. They're always well, finding. I mean, just, just think of the seasons too. I mean, seasons. naturally you can't eat a lot in the winter, but what do we do? Oh my God. We celebrate Thanksgiving, Christmas, <laughs> all the things in the winter, but our ancestors there just wasn't food in the winter so it's unnatural for us to eat so much in the winter 
isn't that crazy to think I about was, with the seasons? Like your diets need to change with the seasons yeah, too. Yeah. I was talking about that with uh, Josiah, I think. I was telling him this summer I've been everywhere and constantly walking and sweating. Yeah. And it was too disgustingly hot to eat. So I would I would mm-hmm. hardly eat. So I told him, I was like, man, I, I dropped like 50 pounds just by like not eating and just I didn't feel like eating because it was too hot. Yeah. And I was like, now, but I brought that up. I said, now, like, it's co- it's cooler out. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a lot going on. I got my our language class and stuff, too. But, I mean, it's not how it was in the summertime, so I'm not moving a lot. And I said, so I've noticed that when it gets like this, I just start eating. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I need to control that. And yep. I need to at least go walk around or something in order for me to keep going down. Because mm-hmm. I was like 390 at the beginning of summer. <laughs> and, I mean, that's like the biggest I've ever been. Like, I'm always like... On the, about to cross that line of 400. Yeah. And so I told him, I was like, you know, like, I know I eat so much when it shifts into, like, winter season or fall. Because mm-hmm. I know, like, oh, I can eat now. It's cooler. Right. I feel a lot better now about eating. And, yeah. And it's like, you brought that up. And it's like, exactly. Like, our people were always trying to survive, right? Yeah. Like, trying to survive and get enough food for the winter. Mm-hmm. And to to uh really reserve that so it can last till spring right and so and like we said it's convenient though that there's all these places around here Mm -hmm. mcdonald's arby's oh yeah burger king yep throughout the winter all the time and you could just go whenever you want yeah and so it's like that's why i say it's like so hard to like (laughs) like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna eat better yeah and then like hour later i'll still i'll do it tomorrow Yeah. I mean, with me, too, when I mentioned gathering with friends and family, it makes you eat, too. Yeah. Because every... Someone made too much food. You got to put some on your plate. Because when I was doing that keto stuff and high fats, I was like, you know, I'm going to go through Thanksgiving and Christmas and all this stuff. I'm just going to probably not eat. And then you get there and everybody's like, why aren't you eating? Right. Making a big deal. Like, why aren't you eating? You know, like you're trying to starve yourself. And it's like... Then it gets in your head of like, well, you know, you're I'm like, done. am I trying to starve myself? Well, you know, <laughs> I've done pretty well for the past few months, so right. I'll probably, I'll Just probably get fall a few off the plates. wagon. Yeah, and it led to me, yeah, falling off the wagon and being like, isn't that a January weird phrase? 1st, January first, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get back on. I swear. Oh yeah, it's a vicious cycle. I tell you what. <laughs> Would you say falling off the wagon? Yeah. What is that phrase? Where did it come from? I have no idea. Is that like? Pioneer days. When I say fall off the wagon, I I also say I eat the wagon. So (laughs) (laughs) what's on the wagon? Is it barbecue? Yeah. Brisket. (laughs) Brisket. Turkey legs. (laughs) Dang that fair. So the Tulsa State Fair is happening. And my favorite things to eat at fairs are turkey legs, corn dogs, but the Tulsa State Fair has the donut burger mm-hmm. where it's like two Krispy Kreme donuts, um, bet- you know, with a um, burger fixings mm-hmm. with the meat and the cheese and all the stuff. Wow. It's so delicious. the sweetness mixed with the everything else doesn't oh, bother yeah. you or you like it's it. It's so good. You love it. I love it. It's now a staple every time I go looking for those donut burgers at the Tulsa State Fair. 
I think I tried one before, but I can't remember how I felt about it. Yeah. I think I was confused. Yeah, it is confusing. Yeah. But I like it. I was at the time I was, you know, going into that healthiness and I was like, eh, yeah, I'll try it. Yeah. I felt and bad probably about myself. So another thing with um with my boss at the Econa group, uh, he is a foodie. Mm-hmm. And he I mean, he's like a he gets really nervous when they're when we're at dinner and there's nothing on the table. So he over orders for everyone. <laughs> we call it like your first year at the Econa group, you gain your freshman your twenty. Freshman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so we recently just had a new hire down in Texas and we just ended peak season, which is like the government's um, final push for budget spending. Mm-hmm. And so we sell a ton of equipment to government agencies and people just buying um, sole source, like because we're a native small business, we have opportunities to for them to have receive incentives. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's really crazy at the end of September. And so he typically gifts us something to celebrate the end of all the craziness. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sent us this year, he sent us a big box of Omaha steak, variety of patties, uh, meatballs, steaks. Um, I have my freezer just full of it right now. And, and our new hire's name is uh, Leighton. He sent us a text message and he said, is this how I'm going to get my freshman 20? <laughs> <laughs> And we were like, it's part of it. <laughs> Get ready. Get ready. Buckle up. Because <laughs> one of Chad's favorite phrases is, anybody can eat when you're hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he pushes you to keep going. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I shop with my stomach sometimes when I'm hungry. Oh, same. And I just buy a bunch of useless stuff that yep. I'm like. I should have just stuck with the plan. Yep. Should have stuck with the list. I have so you much You got to eat and then you got to write a list and then you got to go. Yeah. But again, it's that convenience thing that doesn't come with that. Dude, I know. <laughs> Everything's there. That's where I do my hunting in Walmart. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh. I always got that license, that hunting license at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> well, the hunting license is a uh, Costco. <laughs> that's that one. Yeah. That's a Walmart's membership. Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> just forging there yeah. anything goes in walmart but costco you gotta have a hunting license so mm-hmm. that's yeah that's a yearly thing yeah <laughs> dang i was gonna ask you um oh i don't know if it's a you don't have to mention anybody but do <laughs> when tribes like do this are they doing it of course it's probably brian uh are they doing it like we talked about the standard type of farming, right? Like, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Do they do it that way or do they change it into it's a healthier way? Or so, is it a mix? So it's a big mix. Yeah. Um, you're seeing a lot of variations between tribes because, I mean, there's 574 mm-hmm. and none of them are regionally the same. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have different language, which means different practices. I mean, that book that I'm reading, Breeding Sweetgrass, it's all about the botany and understanding of growing foods for the Potawatomi. They do study other places, um, but that's holistically that what the book is known. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of incentives that the government do push for smart, what they have as smart farming, which is less CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. So it's less um, equipment, 
or less equipment that is harmful to the environment. So it's the the newer um, efficient tractors or just, I don't know how to explain the smart initiative, but mm-hmm. um, they basically get grant dollars to farm with less CO2 emissions. Okay. Um, so that's not just a push for tribes. It's a push for all farming practices. Yeah. And so for tribes, they can also, they can start bundling those incentives so they can utilize that smart practice, the smart climate practice, but then they can also push that they are a native regenerative farming agriculture practice. And so they can kind of start doubling up on those, um, grants and incentives. Um, there have been a lot of interesting talks about, um, providing equipment to other types of producers, like say fishermen, like up in Alaska, there's a lot of native, uh, fishing opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the Pacific Northwest. I mean, they, they have a lot of fish, um, fishing as well. So we're currently looking into finding those partners for boats and engines, um, to give them some equipment that they need on the water. Forgot about fishing. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. Farm fished and, you know, just wild caught. That's mm-hmm. another thing too. Yeah. And it's, it's that's crazy. That That's a whole nother. <laughs> I know. Well, I, my very first time on a reservation, like outside of Oklahoma was, um, in Aquasesne, mm-hmm. the Mohawk that are, uh, they sit on the border of Canada and in us up in New York and their lands were completely destroyed by Alcoa, which is a steel manufacturer, processor and manufacturer. And really? it was to the point where their fish today are just filled with mercury. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sad. crazy and so sad. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lot of those um, social reparative justice that more companies need to focus on. Like, I applaud John Deere. For stepping up and and really acknowledging their um, issues mm-hmm. in the past, um, for instance, we introduced John Deere to the chairman of the Iowa Tribe of Kansas and Nebraska. And have you ever heard of the Gold Key Experience? No. It's literally the golden ticket, like Willy Wonka has, where he's <laughs> when he selects people, uh, the kids to go walk through the factory. Oh yeah with their gold ticket Mm -hmm. well john deere has that for farmers who purchase equipment specifically a large amount of equipment like the at the ioa's Mm -hmm. um chairman rod he got to go to the factory to see where those combines were built and john deere presented him with the tour and and everything but they literally presented him with a golden key to fire up the machine Isn't that crazy? That's cool. And it was the first time a tribal leader had ever gone through that experience. Oh, really? Yeah. And what's crazier, um, John Deere was established in Iowa and um, those Quad Cities, Illinois, in 1837, Mm -hmm. which is the exact same year the Iowas were removed from that territory. Oh, really? Is that not crazy? Crazy. And whenever the tribe mentioned that, <laughs> like all of the John Deere employees got really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were like, did John Deere replace this tribe? <laughs> and, and essentially, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those are their original lands. And that's kind of why they are so great at farming. Yeah. Because <laughs> they had such a depth knowledge of, of how to do it in mm. Iowa, which is some of the best farming practices or best farming lands in the country. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's nice to hear John Deere is now with tribes. Yeah. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really cool. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're basically their tribal liaison to their entire dealership network. Mm -hmm. So anywhere in the North America, I can provide heavy machinery and equipment, both agriculture and construction. I didn't even get to the fun stuff about what I got to do in Coal Valley, Illinois. I went through operator training and learned to run the construction equipment. So I know how to run a wheel loader, a backhoe, excavator, bulldozer, and motor grader. I am certified on all five of those machines. Certified? John Deere certified. Whoa. I know. Look at you. <laughs> I got a hard hat, high-vis vest, and I know how to run it. Now, my objectives might be a little wonky. Your trenches might be a little crooked and not the same depth, <laughs> but I know how to do it. <laughs> so hire Brandy for <laughs> I tell everyone I'm like if this career does not work out I'm going to be an operator Yeah, I'm just going to sit in a cab grade some roads yeah, listen to some tunes <laughs> listen to yeah. some tunes Those, they're nice yeah. they're air conditioned everything is a joystick control mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty easy it's pretty easy Okay, you might kill some people if you mess up but yeah. hey it's pretty easy <laughs> Don't do that. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, we're working with John Deere to build a curriculum to um, train uh, operators in rural communities. Um, specifically, what happened was the Navajo bought about forty million dollars worth of machines, mm -hmm. and they sat there for a year because they couldn't find anyone to operate them. Really, isn't that crazy? So yeah, we. We got with, we like had a follow up, you know, with them of how their machines were doing. And they're like, we can't find anyone to operate. And we're like, what? So um, we've been working with John Deere to send their trainers out to the Navajo Nation to, to get operators operating the machines that we sold. Tribal members to get yep. certified for those machines. Yep. Like you. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. How did, so do they, post a listing for that or does is there, I mean within the tribe I yeah, guess. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's within the tribe. Mm -hmm. Um but I mean a big issue is understanding um just how to pay like the rates, I guess. Mm. Cuz I mean sometimes operators make over a $100 an hour for really? a good operator to get you know the objectives done that they need to be done. Mm -hmm. And I mean tribes don't understand that, so they would post the job for like minimum wage and you're like mm, no good operators gonna want to get paid minimum wage for what you're asking them to do at least if they know right yeah like what yeah, yeah. those those trained operators mm -hmm. know the price mm -hmm. and so um it was those guys who just didn't know how to run machines that were interested in the job but they didn't know how to run it so they just sat there wow isn't it crazy? Yeah. So, yeah, we were really fortunate to connect those dots and introduce the tribe to some trainers and, and get those machines running. How many machines they have? Gosh, that order, I think it was like uh, 
30 pieces of different variations. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. I know. Because like I said, those were just five machines that I got to run. There yeah. was also articulated dump trucks um, that, I mean, I just got to ride in. Mm-hmm. There is also s- small skid steers that were just, you know, out and about. Um, yeah, there's just so many options of machinery. I mean, when I look at catalogs of exactly what all we can sell, it's overwhelming. Like our sales team likes to say we have like five million pieces of machinery we can sell. But that's just too much. That's overwhelming. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. That is a lot. Um, but like for me, I just really, really focus on what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. Like what's the project? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to try to sell you something that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're building a road, go with this. If you're building a building, go with this. Um, so, yeah. So it extends from just farming to. Oh, yeah buildings and roads and it's everything okay so i just okay when you said 500 5 million <laughs> i was thinking of strictly farming but yeah we don't but. also we don't just sell um john deere that's just one of our partners yeah i mean i have this uh line card with me um road equipment for instance we sell vertkin Kleeman, ham vogel these are all like kind of international um, but I mean, there's cat, we have Mac defense, Bobcat, Polaris, um, the list goes on. We, we even sell, um, like trucks, like long haul trucks. We can sell Peterbilt, Kenworth, um, the list goes on. Everything. Everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's I mean, well, I guess it makes sense. You asked me something earlier about a architectural type of thing. Mm-hmm. I guess I kind of, I was like, I was more invested in my friend. I was like, <laughs> please answer back. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, that's, that's amazing. I mean, how long have you been with Akana now? Um, I've been with Akana. Um, it'll be two years in January. So I'm a quarter short of two years. And did you do all this to it? Your, the job before? No. So, yeah, the jobs before this, um, I was in a nonprofit role mm-hmm. for about six months. I worked for um, a nonprofit called Onabin, yeah. which stood for our Native Business Enterprise Network, I mm-hmm. believe, our Entrepreneur Network. Anyway, um, it was basically helping natives and minorities start up their small businesses and really train um, people how to be entrepreneurs which that taught me so much and I'm so grateful for that role. Um, and then before that I was, um, in the insurance world. I worked for, um, a national broker called Brown and Brown and they actually represented uh, the majority of the tribes in Oklahoma. So they protected their sovereignty through insurance policies. And so it was really cool for me to talk with those tribal leaders and, and understand their assets and their properties and what they want to do and what they have plans to do. Um, so we could work on building those policies for those plans that taught me an an amount of information that I'm just still trying to wrap my brain around of that opportunity. And I'm so grateful for that. And that entire team was so helpful for introducing me to so many tribal leaders. I would say, because of Brown and Brown's opportunity is why I got um, 
I got so much support by the National Center for American Indian Enterprise Development. Um, I was honored for 40 under 40 um, at the Reservation Economic Summit in 2022. And uh, it was just, I had the worst case of um, imposter syndrome because I was standing on that stage with so many of those tribal leaders that I had looked up to for, gosh, forever. And um, it was just amazing to be at that level. And then this past year, the Akana Group was actually honored as Native American Business of the Year mm. by that same organization at that same conference. So it was fun to see, um, you know, last year I was a part of the, uh, <laughs> they call they call res Native prom. So I was a part of the, the royalty court uh, as a 40 under 40 honoree. And then this past year, we like won like the prom king and queen, you know, like we, mm. we were honored as a team. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool to celebrate individually last year, but then for the whole team to celebrate together this year was amazing. The championship. Yeah. Yeah. We won it. <laughs> <laughs> Chad Johnson just up Chad, on stage. Ocho Cinco up there <laughs> holding that trophy up. <laughs> MVP. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> I'll, I remember that. Uh, you got when you did the 40 under 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said 2022? Yeah, that was 2022. It feels like that was a, a while ago. I know it does. I mean, just because you've been doing so much. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it just feels like I thought you were going to say 2020 <laughs> is what I thought you were going to say that 40 under 40 was because, man, for real, like it just seems like. Like we said, time moves so fast. Yeah. And that feels like, I remember that too, because you telling all of us and we're all excited and everything and um, like in all your posts and it was just like, yeah, it just feels like so long ago for some reason. <laughs> we didn't even get to talk about all the politics that I've got to chat with. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I remember like uh, if it's still a dream of yours, I remember when we first met, you wanted to be like the first Cherokee woman president. So there has been Wilma Mankiller. She was our first female principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. Yeah. I can't remember what you exactly said. Yeah. There. But I want, I want to be the next. The that, ne okay, yeah. Well. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was saying. Because I, that was, well, that was when we first met. And then you talked about that, I think on that episode. And possibly, I think, even, yeah. and I think even before, well, it was like briefly, but even before that, at circle cinema mm -hmm. or maybe McNelly's, mm -hmm. everybody was kind of just, telling what they wanted to do or something yeah just talking about what they did and, and i remember you talking about that and it was just like but i know you've done other things and i don't know if that was still a dream of yours absolutely yeah. like i i really want to be a public servant um so i mean my boss understands my aspirations and he supports it um but i really want to get into uh like local and city state federal mm -hmm. politics um, whether that be city councilor or um, an appointment as a commissioner to the city of Tulsa or um, a house representative, like for a local district. Um, I really want to learn how to properly do politics um, outside of tribal politics because we all know that can get very muddy and messy very quickly, mm -hmm. whereas city, state, federal, there are proper when I say proper rules and procedures that I can really learn from and understand wholeheartedly before I get my 
my, um, I don't know, just passion of protecting the tribe. I want to learn the just common basics. And I feel like I can really learn that outside of tribal politics. So the first time I was ever exposed to anything political, um, because my family, they're, they're not political. I mean, we got our updates just from the basic news. We didn't really learn anything beyond that. Um, and I was fresh out of high school, I believe. I was like 18. I decided to help a community buddy, like a family friend, on his uh, political campaign against an incumbent. Mm-hmm. And that just so happened to be Bill John Baker when he ran against Chad Smith, which was in 2010, I believe, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up winning. And it was like a really crazy and very messy. Uh, like there was a lot of recounts. There was a lot of just conversation of like mudslinging and accusations. And it was just really messy. And that was my very first experience of politics. And so it kind of scared me away from it for mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think it was just like a basic political science class in college and it kind of sparked that interest. And um, it's taken me a long time to really focus on that because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly young. And I think of politics as these old people because that's what we see. Yeah. But honestly, if you go to D.C. right now, those there are kids running our country. I mean, they're fresh out of high school, it seems like. And they're just diving into whatever campaign or anything they can get their hands on um, be a part of um, in the political scene. And it's it's kind of crazy to think that um, we are those leaders like now mm-hmm. and we need to like recognize that and start putting our names on those ballots and making those policy changes and um, changing the world to make us to make it fit us because right now, Specifically, natives, we don't have a lot of representation outside of tribal politics, and we need to have more representation. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm shooting for. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, you'd be great at it, right? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, you. just because like I think leading up to now, I mean, I'm not saying you're gonna do it tomorrow, but right, all these things that you've been doing. Right. Like you've you've achieved so much in this amount of time and you've been places, you've talked to people, you've helped them with their agriculture, you've helped them with building thing, everything that they could possibly want. And even before this economy, like you helped these small businesses become what they wanted to be. I mean, you even helped me get a website. <laughs> it's expired now, but dang, <laughs> I think I still have a, sh- a shot at getting it because okay so here's the weird thing before i continue what i was gonna say um they kept sending me like oh it's your last day to to get it you yeah. know and i was kind of like oh well i got this bill to pay so i can't uh i can't like i need gas too to get to those places so i yeah. can't go i can't just go ahead and do it and i was like oh well i'll just let it go and then like 10 days later it said your last day and i was like my last day was 10 days ago <laughs> Like, stop lying. I got an email a couple days ago saying this is your last chance to get it. I'm like, dude, it's been like 40 days now. (laughs) 
I guess I'll do it when I get my check from our, our program. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. No, but I mean, like, you help me get a website, you know, which can be very expensive. Yeah. It can be very hard to kind of put that together. But, it's intimidating, too. And it was intimidating because I remember you mentioned that to me. You're like, hey, homie, you need a website? And I was like, dang, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I, I, was like, I kind of want one, but I just don't really see myself having a website. And yeah. you're like... You know, it's it's going to be free. Right? Yeah, like two years. Two years yeah. free. And, like, you know, it's yours like yeah. for that time. And I was like, ah, whatever. Like, what That's do I got to crazy. lose, right? It's been two years. What do I have to lose? Then. Yeah. And so you helped me get it started. Mm-hmm. And then you gave me a video, I think, to watch. And But, I mean, it was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we grew up in those MySpace days when we could code That's all of our skin. Too. You're like, just remember MySpace. And I was <laughs> yeah. like. Okay, and when I got to GoDaddy, it was yeah, it was exactly like that. So. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "What was I afraid of?" <laughs> because I was, because you hear web designers, mm-hmm. and I'm no web designer, right? And I that was why I was afraid too. I was like, "Dang, I'm probably gonna mess it up." And right, and have it all Brandy. glitchy. No, Brandy, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, no! I think our uh, buddies Toke Signals got one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isaiah, he was on that too. Yeah. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, but you've helped so many people with, you know, their small businesses and entrepreneurship. Like you're really out here. Yeah. Right. Like you're really out here, out and about getting to know everybody, connecting, um, networking and getting all these connections. Right. And I mean, that's mainly like everything you need to do. Yeah. Like you really have to be out here. Yep. Not in just your community, but every community to see how they're living, mm-hmm. how they're doing, or, you know, they could be doing bad, you know, yeah. or good. Like, how do you get to that level of like how they're just being the best representation of a tribe that they can be. Mm-hmm. And then like how, is this tribe doing so bad? Like, what can you do to help them in your position now? Or like the blast positions you had maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that you're already doing that will go into that role when you decide to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I still have a lot of learning to do and I I'm so fortunate that I have the mentors that I do Mm -hmm. have, um, that are always pushing me to, to go to the next step and to try the next thing, to talk to the, you know, next level of whatever, um, project I'm doing. And I'm just, I'm just so fortunate for the team that I have. Cause I mean, as we know, we, we have, we stand on shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. We have all of our ancestors behind us. So even if I do walk into a room by myself, it is kind of that thought of that, um, scene from reservation dogs when Willie Jack just kind of breaks down and it cuts to all of the her ancestors behind her and like that's what I really feel um anytime I'm kind of walking into those unknown spaces mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah and that's well I was gonna say too like you know you're never you're never ready for that next step no you're yeah. you never are like and I tell people that all the time like you know even just to start you're never going to be ready. Like yeah. Everybody wants everything to be so perfect. Yeah. And I can speak, I can speak from experiences. Like that's how I wanted stuff. I was like, oh, I got to be so perfect. Mm-hmm. I got to make sure nobody, I don't make no mistakes, but it's like, 
you know, you're never ready for the start or the next step. Yeah. And like you said, like you're always learning and shoot, I am too, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's good you recognize that because some people, they don't like to recognize that. Like you, like you have to perfect whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. It's, it's but there's kind no of, perfection really. Yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of like that balance of like knowing that you're a badass but also staying humble, yeah. <laughs> knowing you can mess up pretty bad. Oh, yeah. So it's like understanding those two extremes and mm-hmm. just being your genuine self um, to walk that line. And I mean, a lot of what I do is is very genuine and authentic. Like I don't have any underlying, um, gosh, what's the word? Incentives or I don't assume people to do whatever I expect want them to do I guess mm-hmm. um and so I think that's what makes what I do so easy is because I'm just trying to better our communities I'm just trying to make these farmers have an easier life or make this project that they're trying to build a road <laughs> that they haven't had um it, it goes back to one of my role models being Wilma Mankiller she was an advocate before she was ever a politician I mean, if you were, if you've ever seen the movie Cherokee Word for Water, um, it's a brilliant movie, which I'll, I'll plug Kimberly and um, Mo Brings Plenty play um, Wilma Mankiller and Charlie Soap. And it's just an amazing story about them really connecting a community to um, to band together to build like a water line. Mm-hmm. Like the community had to build this water line for the city to to get running water to their community really yeah and um it's a real story and it happened in a small community of bell um on the cherokee nation reservation very far east mm-hmm. um but yeah it's uh it's a beautiful story and it just keeps me um motivated to just better that community and try to get people to trust you is is the hardest thing yeah so to just stay authentic and genuine people kind of follow suit to trusting yeah Yeah. that's true and you are i mean i've known you this long it feels like longer i know it feels like we've known each other for a very long time yeah but i mean time goes by so quick but you're never like there's never no like fakeness around you thank you you know you like keep it real yeah i mean when it when it's business it's business you know, mm-hmm. but when we're just hanging out, we're just hanging out, right? Like, yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing bad I can say about you. Oh, thank you, Russell. But I mean, that's like everybody, like I've come across, like bringing here or the people we meet. Like, there's nothing bad, like I could say about anybody. Yeah, because everybody's like invested in what they're doing. Yeah, and we're all fighting the same fight. Yeah, <laughs> we all really understand, like, yeah, what it is we're all trying to do. And especially like for someone like yourself that wants to help the communities. Yeah. And it's hard to do because there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. And it's like people think that it's crazy that we're doing so much business in Australia, but the Aboriginal tours, straight people, like they, they get it. Mm-hmm. They're going through those same struggles we're going on here in the U S. And so, um, that's how it's just easy for us to do business. Cause we're like, yeah, your life sucks too at times. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> you don't trust the government at times. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, and so it's just so easy for us to do business. We're the um, first Native American business to incorporate 
um, in Australia. So we're completely, we're 100% native owned and yeah, we're the very first 100% native owned small business to incorporate in Australia. Isn't that wild? It is. It's amazing. Gosh. And then you had, um, there was something going on in Australia, right? That yeah. you wanted to bring up? Absolutely. So October 14th, so that's, since they're ahead, uh, we'll really have to do a lot of social media push mm-hmm. um, for the yes vote support. And it's a, it's a voice, it's called the voice vote, and it's essentially to place an Aboriginal representative in each state on parliament, which is like their federal government. So currently there's no representative to discuss Aboriginal and Torres Strait people's issues or matters. Um, and this would give them that opportunity to have a representative on that federal level. And so it's just a huge equality vote in my it's a human rights vote Mm -hmm. and right now um, the polls are really swaying both ways it could be yes it could be no the last voice vote they had was about two years ago and it was about for same-sex marriage Mm -hmm. and I mean that had an astounding two-thirds support so it it won Um, but they kind of had those numbers set um, in the the polls beforehand and so right now it's just it's just up in the air. Hmm. So all my prayers, all my supports going to Australia for that October 14th vote. And I'll, I'll be happy to share with, um, with you, Russell, all the, um, information about the importance of it, um, and what it is exactly. But yeah, we need to support our brothers and sisters across the pond. Shoot. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all the same. Yeah. Right. Like every <clears throat> horrific things have happened all over. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, I don't know. It's some people don't recognize it because it's like, like you said, it's like, why, why Australia? Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's like they went through horrific stuff just like we did. Yeah. And I mean, it, it like you said, like, oh, don't trust the government. You know, the government. I was going to ask you, is the government over there like here too? No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not a democracy. It's a, it's a parliament. So I, I'm still trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's completely different. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know too much about um, like government side yeah. of Australia. So I know that they have a party called the Liberal Party, which is like our Republican Party. And then they also have, they call it the Little L, which I'm confused about. But they also have a Green Party, which is like the Sustainability Party. Um, they have three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's definitely different. But what's the Little L? Is that like Democrat? And the Little L is for Liberal. Oh, so hold on. Yeah, I don't get it because <laughs> there's another L. Yeah, but I don't know what it is. Okay, I can't think of it. Yeah, let me look it up. No, <laughs> I'm. You know what? I'm gonna put this in the universe for you. I'm so excited for the day you have a team to start looking things up when we start questioning. We're like, hey, what was that date? And and then you know, like the Joe Rogan experience, how they can put it up on a screen and fact check things like just to, right off the bat. I like to act like I know everything, <laughs> just a little bit about everything. But I didn't know we'd get into like Australian government. I know. Right? I didn't. I didn't know we'd go that far. I, the only question I had. Part of this was, uh, did you ever see a, what is it, a uh, huntsman spider? When you're over no, there? thank God. No. I did not. <laughs> One crazy thing, though, 
when we were in Darwin, their uh, their ancestors there, they're the water people. So mm. you're supposed to get into the water to to let the ancestors know that you've arrived and to thank them. Oh wow! And uh, before they before they said all of this, they also mentioned that there are six meter saltwater crocs in the ocean. Mm, yeah. So yep. you got to watch out for those six meter crocs. And it took me a minute to recognize and do that like conversion math. That's eighteen feet. Yeah just chilling in the yeah, ocean yeah just these monsters and you expect me to go into the water to yeah. tell the elders i'm here like is it like a high bye situation like hey ancestors and then you get eaten <laughs> <laughs> like what australia is scary australia is so scary like yeah. so to think about like not having representatives like you're fighting against the government you're also just fighting to stay alive yeah. like they have the deadliest snakes yeah the deadliest and largest spiders mm -hmm. the greatest great white sharks yeah those saltwater crocs what else they have what is it the uh I thought they had dingoes over there too yeah those dogs yeah. they're vicious oh and red kangaroo yeah those things get huge mm -hmm. Like apparently they can get so big. Like if you have anything growing in your gutters, like on your house, they can eat them. Yeah. And just rip off your gutters. Mm -hmm. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> they're vicious, man. Like I, they're pretty, they're really smart. And so I, I don't know if this is real or not. Uh, don't come after me. But <laughs> if they're like in water, they may make it seem like they're in trouble. And so they say, like, not to help them because they'll grab you and drown you. Oh, my god! Which is crazy. It's like, oh, my God. But I've seen them fight before, too. I've seen them fight each other. Yeah. And, I mean, they go hard. Yeah. Like, they go super hard. And it's like, oh, kangaroo. Oh, how cute. You know, but then it's like you read uh -oh. about all these things that, you know, they can do. And they're super strong. There's a picture on the internet. It was an old picture, but he's jacked. Swole. He's jacked. And I was like, oh, God. I want to run into him. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. Yeah, no, Australia's wild. So to think that they're fighting not only for their lives against the nature of it all, but like the politics too? Yeah. Like, dang. <laughs> Y'all got it rough. Man, yeah. I... There's a there's another video I don't know if you've seen it but um it's of a I think it's a great white shark or maybe it's a giant tiger shark oh my gosh but it leaps out of the ocean and they said this thing's like twenty five feet long it's like one of the biggest tiger sharks ever recorded absolutely not and it just jumps out of the water because they're like they're baiting it not baiting it but not right to kill it, but for Shark Week they're trying to, yeah Shark Week and yeah. this thing like jumps up and it's like during a news broadcast and the guy is like <laughs> freaking out he's like oh god. <laughs> It's in our ocean. And then even like prior to that, there is a story going around about how they tagged a shark. It was like an 18 foot shark, I think. Wow. And they tagged it. And I think it was in Australia, but it started going down like deeper into the ocean mm -hmm. and it was cold and all of a sudden it got hot. So they're saying like something oh my gosh. swallowed it entirely because... That heat was from the stomach. Right. Yeah. Dang. And they don't and they they didn't know what happened to that tag until they found it later. And they that's how they got their readings from it. Because whatever oh ate it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Pooped that thing. Passed out. it out. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And then there was another like 
I think it was a photo. There wasn't it wasn't a video, but it was a photo of like another giant white great white shark. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big it was, but it was pretty big. And they reeled it up because it was dead. Mm-hmm. But when they reeled it up, there was a giant bite out of its side. Dang. So they're saying it was an even bigger great white shark that bit into its side. You like, know, it's it was like so scary to think. So about that. I. I, like like I said, I do a lot of traveling. Mm-hmm. In my last trip to D.C., I had like a crazy delayed uh, flight that made me miss my original flight. And mm-hmm. so I had an eight-hour layover in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but Atlanta has like the best aquarium like in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They have two um, whale sharks. In, in Whale sharks? Whale sharks. Yeah. In, in their aquarium. Yeah. And you can swim with them. But what's like so amazing is just seeing how large those are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, yeah, they're, they're just whale sharks just swimming around in these giant tanks that are like the size of a city. Yeah. Small little city. And um, to think that our oceans have things larger. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. To just realize how small you are in this world. Exactly. Yeah. So glad whale sharks are cool. I know. Exactly. <laughs> They're just chill. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the first time I ever saw one of those, somebody recorded it and I think it was on YouTube. And I never I never knew what a whale shark was. Yeah. And they said, Oh, look at that giant shark and <laughs> and I they put like a picture within that video of how big it actually is. Yeah. And I was like, a whale shark is like, holy crap. Because you think of orcas, like orcas are right. really aggressive. Yeah. And then it's like, dang, is that if that is like, that's like the megalodon of this time, I guess. Because <laughs> megalodons are like huge and they're yeah. super aggressive and they're the super predators. But then it turns out, you know. Oh, whale you sharks can, are cool. You can pet them. They're yeah. Big dogs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're just feed me. You can hang out with them. Yeah. Take them home. Yep. That's how people just get to. You can literally just sign up to go swimming with them like day of. Mm-hmm. You can go to this aquarium, go through like a quick training and, and just they let you swim. Would you do it? Uh, No. No. I get claustrophobic, I think. Well, I mean, especially just with my breathing, I would be freaked out if I was. You had all the scuba gear on. Yeah, I, I don't want I wouldn't trust the tanks, I think. Mm. I think that's what freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be pretty scary. Yeah. Or you just accidentally get swallowed <laughs> and you're in the stomach. <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy. But no, I'm um I'm excited to go back to DC. This is for the um conference with the Association for the United States Army. So yeah. I'm gonna be meeting with um gosh, the co- the Department of Commerce, mm. um, DLA Defense and Maritime, and um the EPA which is the Environmental Protection Agency. So I'm going to really start drilling them about, if you're protecting our people and our waters and our lands, like how are you working with tribal nations? You know, as much as much crap as people give Cherokees, you know, because everybody's a Cherokee mm-hmm. and everybody's great-great-grandmother was Cherokee princess, I am really proud of our tribe. Yeah, I am really proud of the economic powerhouse that they are for our state. And I, I'm proud for all the progressive advances that they have had regarding a delegate to Congress, uh, yeah. Kimberly Teehee, um, still fighting for that seat in D.C. But, um, 
yeah, I'm I'm just so proud of our administration. There's always going to be improvements yeah. to have. Like I said, specifically to to change change policy to fit who we are in our age, um, because we are those leaders now, and um, we need to have more representation of <laughs> younger minds. I would say. Yeah. And you, then again, you do walk that line of like respecting your elders and understanding that's just how things have always been done. But if we don't voice our opinions, how will things get better? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I really do appreciate the Cherokee nation for its um, advances in government against federal government or state government specifically. Yeah all the crazy mess that we have to deal with, with our current governor. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I do, I do really enjoy the fact that he's brought our tribes together in a way that we have never seen. Yeah. So you got to applaud our, our tribes for being pulled together. You got to look at the good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, Hey, um, Governor Stitt appointed a Cherokee citizen, Mr. West No Fire, as a tribal nation liaison mm-hmm. under his administration. And people can, you know, be upset or, or whatever. But, hey, that's a Cherokee citizen, and I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he actually served on council. He was he was a tribal counselor for dis, um, District 3 of the Cherokee Nation. So, I mean, yeah, he was kind of radical at times, but honestly, he's... He has that experience, um, and I'm I'm just proud that he was given that opportunity. So we'll see how it works out. Yeah, I am hopeful, and uh, like all politics, it can change. Mm-hmm. You just got to give it time. How far or how long is his term? You know, I'm not sure because he was just appointed like a month ago, oh, two really? months ago. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So I don't know if it falls in suit with um, the current administration's term. Um, we'll see. But, but I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful for the Cherokee Nation and the state of Oklahoma and all of our tribal nations to, to be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year numbers came out that it was like $16 billion of economic just impact that the mm-hmm. tribes have brought to the state of Oklahoma and the governor never recognized that. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that having a tribal liaison that understands those numbers, I hope that he can share that um, impact to the masses. Oh yeah. 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 There's a lot we do for the state of Oklahoma. It's insane. We kept the lights on during yeah. COVID when others couldn't, Yep. you know, like, and we survived. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We still had to give that rate of whatever from our casinos when they were closed during that time. Yeah. And we still survived it. Yeah. Right. Like absolutely. Kept the lights on and everything for mm-hmm. I mean, even the schools we provided, I yeah. mean, how many um, laptops to kids or just connectivity, like how many families got Wi-Fi from the tribes? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just so impactful. Yeah. Yep. And... I mean, I read like posts about stuff like that and people don't believe tribes do that. Yeah. And it's like, how can you not believe when, you know, like, I mean, it's right there. You get like the flip side of like, oh, you're Native American. You got free schooling and you get free health care. 
you have it made and it's like no mm, <laughs> you won't try to say that again <laughs> i saw a picture where somebody they were like this is what people think how it is being native and they put their tribal id in a debit card <laughs> Golly, I wish. Wouldn't that be crazy? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) Hey, let's let's add that to the list of things to do for our tribes. Our ID is a debit card. (laughs) (laughs) Connected straight to the tribal funds. (laughs) Yes, Brandy, make that a thing, please. I cracked up when I saw that because I was like, I know how that is. Like everybody's like, oh, you went to school for free and then, oh, you get free food and you get free rent and all yeah. these things. And it's like, I'm like, where, where do I sign am up? I, am I, do I look like I'm balling that much? <laughs> like with my old shirt on yeah. and <laughs> the shoes I pay my, for on after pay. My, you- <laughs> my beaded hay dudes are unraveling. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm native, but I struggle. <laughs> I'm out here struggling, man. Like, I'm not balling. <laughs> Think I'd be here? Yeah. No, I'd be in Australia. I have one piece of turquoise. That's all I got. Got one rock on my table right there that I'm thinking about making into something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I hate that, man. I hate how people... I mean, yeah, there's tribes out there that are... They do get per camp, you know, mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, love them, love them for that. And, absolutely. They, and they help their community and their people and everything. But not all tribes are able to do that. Mm-hmm. And every, it's it's so crazy to hear like everybody thinks like, they, I guess they hear of a, I'm trying to think of a tribe. My mind just went blank. <laughs> I tried to get per cap. So every tribe does that. Yeah. And it's like, no, dude, like. <laughs> God, no. Like Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite. Gosh. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it happens to me in all my travels. You know, people, some people think I still live in a teepee and ride a mm, horse. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. nope, uh, got got central AC, baby. <laughs> I was talking about that with uh, Alyssa Brackett. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Wonderland. yeah. So I was talking about that with her. We went to Briggs together. Oh, really? Yeah, we're Briggs kids. Oh, <laughs> Okay. No. <laughs> no, but uh we were talking about um how people asked her that about living in teepee and everything. Yeah. And I had the same thing when I went to well, like I went to New Mexico for school, but we went to California and they're like, Whoa, like you're native? Like <laughs> really, yeah, we're from Oklahoma. Whoa, is that like you can live out in the like prairie or something? I don't know what they said. They said yeah. out of the middle of nowhere in a teepee. And hunting and stuff and yeah we're wearing clothes like no like, <laughs> <Right>. we're not wearing <laughs> so recently my favorite thing to do when people a lot of people speak spanish to me oh yeah and i, I that too. Yeah. and i just i speak cherokee right back and oh. it really throws them off okay um so yeah it's been my favorite thing to do recently I'm, i can okay so i've been doing language classes and i can do that now yeah i can start doing what that. what was that meme i shared that was like <laughs> talking about that our languages are dying and then it, and then it's like me and my friends that just learned how to say, I like potatoes. Oh, yeah. In my language. <laughs> like, we're making it. Our language jobs aren't dying. <laughs> we just learned potatoes. Yeah. We? we know our numbers, colors, and 
foods. <laughs> foods, common foods. <laughs> I know the common words. And all the dirty words. Yeah. yeah. Those I'm, come first. I don't know any dirty words yet. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are the okay. First, those are the first ones. <laughs> you don't have to lie to us. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but I mean, like learning a language though is like it's really empowering. It's huge. Yeah. And and what I've discovered is land acknowledgments are big too. Yeah. So in in um, Australia, you have land acknowledgement everywhere. Mm-hmm. You land your plane and the stewardess is like these are the original lands of so and so the local time is whatever such and such Mm -hmm. simple as that yeah and what we're really trying to do specifically within the econa group and me personally is if there's a meeting i say oco i'm recognizing the original land stewards of whatever city town i'm in and then acknowledge the um, the what do they say the the leaders the past present and emerging mm. yeah simple yeah and that's how you introduce yourself um yeah I never thought of like the land acknowledgement yeah it's yeah. huge because um I mean land means everything yeah. It's equity. Mm-hmm. It is history. It is survival. And so acknowledging that land and everyone who was there, past, present, emerging, um, it just brings a sense of like a grounding to the meeting to like just set a baseline of where we're at. And, mm-hmm. you know, people get upset. We're just like, hey, it's fine. People get, you know too excited and too visually <laughs> ahead of themselves or like, Hey, let's ground ourselves again. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's something that the economy group really strives to do because we do it great when it's in our own communities. Like it's easy to talk our language in front of other natives and it's easy to talk about land acknowledgements and land back yeah. <laughs> reconciliation, um, within our own communities is hard in front of non-natives. Yeah. And so I'm getting better at it. I'm not the greatest, but the fact that I'm doing it and practicing, I'll get there yeah. one day. So That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And you're showing it to them. Because yeah. like it is really easy to, oh, I'm just now starting kind of for three years, but we've learned how to introduce ourselves and everything. So in front of natives and stuff, it's, it is really easy. Yeah. But like I've never been in that position of where like I had to do it around non-natives. And just thinking about it, it's like, it can be intimidating because you're like, they don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, am I saying it right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you start exactly. questioning yourself and yeah. who you are and everything. But but you know what? Those ancestors behind you, mm-hmm. they can understand you. True. And they're happy that you're there yeah. in front of those, you know, non-natives. Because I think that's, that's the only way that they communicated back in the day. And that's those like first encounters. That's exactly what they were scared of Mm -hmm. and now you being able to speak english to those non-natives and acknowledging your language to respect them Mm -hmm. so powerful yeah monumental yeah Um, yeah Yeah. it's always a powerful moment man like i was in the language uh kind of in the language as a kid but grew out of it 
you know, other things mm. happen, mm-hmm. but it's cool to come back to it as an adult and know the things you do know. Yeah. Been, been to the places you've been to and just kind of coming back to it with the full understanding of not being a kid. Yeah. Now you fully understand like how important it is, how powerful it can be, how just, I don't know. It's like a different feeling when you get done with that class. Oh yeah. And then be able to speak it. Because like you said, your ancestors are always listening and you could be able to probably connect with them on that level. Yeah. You know, let, no. Hey, here's some McDonald's. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> What's no. the word for Mc- Big Mac? <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I mean but I mean, yeah, it's like it's very just it's a different feeling. Like after I got done with our classes for that first semester. I didn't fully understand it because we're English speakers first. Right. And it's really hard to get away from that. Mm-hmm. But now it being in my third year, you know, um, kind of teaching as well. I'm so proud to like fully like not fully, but I mean, like, you know, get the vowels and the consonants and just the just the sounds of these words. Yeah. That's not English to yeah. get away from this English language like. Yeah, it's the huge. language, right? So I'm I'm actually the first generation that's not first language speaker mm-hmm. on my dad's side of the family. Really? Yeah. So my dad's generation, they're first language speakers. Like mm-hmm. basically they didn't speak English until they were like in school. Like my grandparents, they, they spoke it in the house. Mm-hmm. And that's what the kids grew up learning. And... Um, it's just crazy to think that it can be gone in one generation. Yeah. And it's probably going to take two or three more if for like my kids, my grandkids to like actually learn it back Yeah, to be fluent again. Um, it's just crazy. It is. Yep. It's scary to think about that too. Just how quickly it's just gone mm-hmm. and almost gone. You know, like some, I think we were on the verge of it just being extinct. Yeah. Like, I think Taylor and Zach were talking about some sort of um, layout of uh, tribes that know their language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Dene people, they, they're they fluent. They have a lot of fluent speakers. Oh, yeah. But yet they were still in the middle of that layout of extinction. Wow. And I forgot who the top were, but we were like right there on that line. Dang. Like, because we don't have any fluent speakers. Yeah. Well, I think the Cherokee Nation, so my uncle and my cousin, they work for the language department for mm -hmm. the Cherokee Nation. My uncle is one of the first master apprenticeship to go through the program, however long ago that was. But um, they they gave me a tour of the new facility, and I remember them talking about how many, like, fluent, like, speakers that we have within the Cherokee Nation. Mm -hmm. Currently, our citizenship is about 450,000 citizens all over the world, mm-hmm. and we have about 3,000 speakers. Really? Fluent? Yeah. But, I mean, looking at those numbers, like, that percentage is... Yeah, that's... Sad. Yeah. Terrible. That's really low. Yeah. 3,000, and then you have 480,000? 450,000, 450, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And... At least you got Zebediah. And we got Zebediah, man. Golly, I love that guy. <laughs> his his uh, stand-up during Cherokee National Holiday was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I am so impressed that he was able to have that set and set up at his place of employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and we bring it in chairs. I was carrying chairs both arms. So I was trying to pack it in as many chairs as I could because <laughs> there were so many people standing. Yeah. It was awesome to see. Yeah. It was good, man. I Because uh, we got back from that casino, that new casino from that art show. Yeah. And so we're like, we got to hurry up and get over there. <laughs> and I wasn't like expecting because you know there's a lot of stuff going on yeah it's a full schedule there's a full schedule of other things happening so i was just kind of like i wonder how many people will be at zebediah's so i was like we'll probably get a seat (laughs) then we got there and that whole room was packed (laughs) even like in the hallway where we were it was like packed out dang and they started bringing chairs to everybody and i sat down for a little bit and then yeah it was it was awesome you know it's awesome to for zebediah to incorporate like comedy within like his job yeah it's huge yeah and just to just to bring people that laughter yeah because people are cracking up in there and it's always good to see stuff like that from your friends and everything absolutely yeah yeah and there's that show coming up uh this weekend at the looney bin i believe oh yeah the eighth yeah so that should be really nice to see him in another space yeah I'll be videoing that. What? That's yeah. cool. So, yeah, I set my camera up. But, yeah, Jordan reached out. She's like, can you film? <laughs> I was like, I think so. I was like, man, let me check. Well, so, we're off work the next day for Indigenous Peoples Day. I'll be able to, I'll be in Okmulgee for like half the day. Oh, dang. Yeah. I want to come back. Well, we got something to do real quick. So if there's still stuff going on in Tulsa, then yeah. we might go down there. Nice. Yeah, I'll be traveling to D.C. on Indigenous People's Day, and I might just wear a ribbon skirt in the airport. Might as well. Yep. I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you here, talking about everything you do, and just a lot of random stuff that, you know, I didn't know about you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for this opportunity to just sit down and chat. It's been three years in the making, Yeah. and I'm really grateful that we, we got to get to know each other better Mm because this is yeah this was like our first time we've had an extended amount of time just talking one-on-one i know so this is awesome a lot of them were run and gun yeah exactly (laughs) in passing in passing yeah art markets and yeah 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 but yeah it's been awesome yeah it's always a great time because this is where i truly get to just talk to somebody yeah and nobody's here and we're just talking about whatever you know and get to know you and everything better than i did and yep. so one more time, though, let everybody know about the voting. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, again, it's going to be in Australia, October 14th. So here in the States, we really need to support the yes vote um, on October 12th and 13th to make sure that our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters know that we support them. And we are here to to give that yes vote more more on of an audience yes yeah so everyone go vote keep up with that the 12th and the 13th yeah push it on social media for australia's yes yes vote yeah yes and then let everybody know where to follow you and keep up with you absolutely so um yeah my name is brandy ross um i'm actually the most active on linkedin so brandy uh ross dot 101 i think is the linkedin but my instagram is brand shell and um yeah i'm always happy to connect with people and and share our stories and try to help anyone i mean that's that's huge for me is to make sure that 
the resources that I've gained, I'm able to share with others in our communities. So, yeah, wado. No gatekeeping. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody go follow her, keep up with her, and hit her up, you know, for if you need help with a lot of things we talked about today. And go follow Okie Podcast on Instagram at Okie Podcast. At, follow my personal at Russellmus49. Russell Sunny, go on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn. Same nice. name. So I don't know if I follow you or connect with you yet. Yeah, we'll get connected okay. for sure, though. I just kind of started it. But, uh, and then follow Spirit Talkers, wherever you listen to podcasts on Apple, Spotify. Follow Spirit Talkers on Instagram, TikTok. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And Okie Podcast as well, everywhere. I'd say Google them both and you would find them. So uh, until next time, everybody, peace.